Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Ari Kieben. Great to be with you. And as promised, I'm going to take you through on the Jewish journey of prayer, the art of prayer and spiritual experience as we just embarked on a brand new JLI series to get us in the mode prepared and ready for the high holidays that are coming up in just three and a half weeks. So to get ready for Rosh Hashanah, many people sit bored in shul, not knowing what's going on, just can't wait to get the heck out. Well, hopefully if you participate in the series with us and hear some of the insights that I will share here on the radio waves, then perhaps you might find shul service a little more meaningful regardless which shul you go to. You will find the services somewhat more meaningful. And that's why I would like to talk about prayer because prayer is a very personal experience. It's something personal between each of us and God who we pray to. And just like any personal relationship, it's something that, it's not something I could teach you. It's not something you could learn in a crash course. Every person has to experience it on their own. And of course, there are many skills that we could learn that could help us improve in our personal relationships. There are many skills we could learn to help us improve even in our per, in our prayer experience. And that's why I invite people to join us on this journey, on the course to learn. And of course, here on the limited time of the radio show, I can't share with you all the insights that we discuss and all the texts and videos and meditations that we do in a course. But I could share with you some of them to give you a little sampling, a taste of it for those who couldn't make it in person, for those who want to review, and for those who want to taste to join us perhaps in a future week. So I intend to share with you some of the insights, some ideas in the rituals, the rationale, the theology, the meaning, the themes, and hopefully one could grow from this and learn from this to have a more personal, deeper experience on the high holidays when you're in shul or any time when you pray, regardless whether it's in shul, at home, at work, on a plane, wherever you might be. So I would like to begin with the following. <coughs> Excuse me. Firstly, I want to start with comparing prayers. There's many prayers throughout the Torah, throughout biblical literature, and one of the prayers that we explored was the prayer that's read in the Haftorah on Rosh Hashanah, the story of Chana. Chana is a very famous biblical personality who she was married to her husband, to Eli, but unfortunately she was not falling pregnant. She had a hard time bearing, getting pregnant, bearing a child. And we're going to read this particular prayer on Rosh Hashanah. And if you look at that prayer, which comes from the book of Shmuel, you will notice that here you have Chana. Sorry, somebody corrected me. She was married to Elkanah, not to Eli. You're right. Eli was the one who was reprimanding her. Uh, absolutely. So Chana is married for a number of years. And she is praying, she's begging, beseeching, pleading God, asking for the blessing of a child. In those days when polygamy was still valid, when it was still legitimate, 
So her co-wife, Elkanah's other wife, named Penina, had many children. And you can imagine that taunted her. The envy that here her co-wife has lots of children and she's barren. So exacerbated. Hannah could no longer handle it. She couldn't take it any longer. And she went to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle at the time, which was located in Shiloh. And she goes to pray and she begs and beseeches heavens. She asks God for a child and she says, if you give me a child, I will educate him in the right way that he will hopefully become a person dedicated to your ways. And of course, less than a year later, her prayers were answered and Hannah gave birth to a child whom she named Shmuel. Shmuel later on grew up to become great judge and prophet of Israel as he was raised as, a, as his mother promised in the holy atmosphere with this important education. And so he becomes one of the most important leaders in all of Jewish history. He's the one who appoints King Saul and then David HaMelech showed the prophet Shmuel. So that's one kind of a prayer. And we look at many other different types of prayers. For example, King David. David HaMelech has also, look at the book of Tehillim. I'm sure you're seeing our advertisements all over town. There's a psalm for that. Psalms, Tehillim, were composed by David HaMelech. And King David, in fact, has all different types of prayers to God in his Tehillim. But there's a common denominator, although if you look at the prayers, for example, just comparing Hannah's prayer to King David, you notice they're very different. Whereas Hannah's prayer, she's requesting for something. Hannah is desperate. Hannah is feeling distant, unloved, so to say. Take as an example Psalm 23 of Tehillim, where David HaMelech says, Hashem ro'i lo echsar, God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's a, a psalm, a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a place where David is in tranquility, he's feeling good, and he perceives himself as near, as close to God. So there's a major contrast. And if you peruse throughout biblical history, through Torah, Nevi'im, Kesuvim, you'll see many, many prayers. And each prayer is unique. And I think the underlying theme about all the prayers is that they are a personal conversation with God. Each individual has something they pray for. One might be praying for something, requesting something personal. Another might be expressing their gratitude for experiencing something good in their life. But the point is, each one prays from their heart with their own words, according to their own circumstances. That is the theme you'll find throughout our prayers, where our great ancestors share their deepest thoughts, their feelings, their highs and their lows, their thanks, their appreciation to Hashem. So at its core, prayer is a deeply personal and profoundly individualistic experience. No two people pray alike. Everyone has their own way of expressing themselves, both to God or to anyone else. We are all individuals. And one theme we've discussed many times here, that we're all indispensable in God's eyes, we're all unique. So prayer, I want to remind you, is not about the sitter. It's not about the prayer book. 
whether you use the art scroll or Chabad or Birnbaum or Adler or Singer or whatever other Siddur or Machser you might use. It's not about the shul that you attend. It's not about the schedule, the time that you're there for. It's not about the rituals. It's not even about the bracha that comes afterwards. Now, of course, those are all important parts. I don't want to undermine them. But the point I'm trying to express is that prayer is your unique individual experience, your relationship, your communication with God. And that's something else I would like to share with you. Because is prayer about conversation? Is it about asking God for things? What if I have nothing to tell God? What if I don't need anything? What if there's nothing that I actually need at the moment? The Baal Shem Tov gives a beautiful metaphor because he explains, he says there once was a king who said that he's going to throw a feast, a celebration. Perhaps it fits into the metaphor of the month of Elul that we're presently in. Hamelech Basada, the king is in the field. And every person could come to the king and submit their requests. And one person says they need fertilizer because he's a farmer. Another one, he needs a sickle. And each person asks for their own personal things. But then along comes one individual. And he says, I don't want to ask for anything in particular. All I want is a relationship that I could be able to communicate with the king whenever possible. And of course, the nimshal, the allegory, is that this individual did not have to request for anything specific. He had an ongoing relationship with the king. And whenever he was lacking something the king would look after his needs. And the same is true about our prayers. Because let's take King David as an example. He's constantly communicating with God. He's in a constant relationship. And so if we're able to be in constant communion with our Creator, then it's not a matter of, think of the friend who only comes to you when they have something that they need, that they they have a, a favor to ask you of. It gets a little bit annoying that they only know you, they only know your number, when they have a favor to request of you. What about the rest of the time? So this is an important idea regarding prayer. What the Hebrew word for prayer is, we know it is tefillah. But it's very different than the English word prayer because the English word prayer is etymologically related to the word precarious, which is Latin and means entreaty, request. In Hebrew, to request something is called bakasha. But prayer is not... Bakasha, prayer is tefillah. What does tefillah mean? Tefillah etymologically means to connect. The Gemara tells us, Hatofa klecheres, referring to person connecting plaster onto a clay vessel. But the, 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 the meaning of the Talmud is that prayer is a time of attachment. So tefillah, hatofel, they both mean the same thing. It means to connect in the Talmudic Mishnah, it's referring to connecting the plaster with the vessel. In our context, tefillah means connecting you, connecting me, my soul, with Almighty God. And that is what tefillah, prayer, is all about, is a moment of connecting with Hashem. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. Today we've been talking about prayer. Why pray? What's the purpose of prayer? And we said prayer is a, is communion. It's connection. It is a conversation with God. And we explained the difference between the Hebrew word for prayer, which is tefillah, means a connection versus prayer, which means to request. 
So now we're going to take it a little bit further because, you know, what if I have nothing to request? Well, indeed, you still want to have a conversation. You still want to have a personal connection with Hashem. So to take it a step further, let's try to dig into our own selves and think about who we are, what we're aspiring toward. And hopefully that can help us understand our own personality and how our prayers could help us and take us to the next stage, the next level of who we are. Now, anyone who's been tuned into soul to soul knows that we're not just a body, but we possess a soul. And of course, we are, we don't just possess a soul, we are primarily a soul. The soul precedes the body and the soul will continue to exist even after the body expires. The body will be buried and disintegrate, whereas the soul will continue to live on. So that's a basic tenet of Jewish thought. But at the same time, if you realize, our body and soul sometimes are on two different pages. And this is especially relevant when it comes to prayer. Because when we're sitting down to pray, maybe I should just speak for myself, not for anyone else. But all of a sudden, these distractions come along. And all of a sudden, my body thinks about all types of other things. And we know that it could become a struggle. It could become a challenge, a difficulty. Prayer is a time that we want to shake off those shackles that are preventing us from connecting with our godly soul. And we want to be able to express our true color by our true personality connecting with God. So it's a time to cultivate our spiritual imagination, to increase our spiritual stamina. And yet we know that it's not so easy. In fact, we are told, it says in the Zohar, Sha'at Salosa, Sha'at Karava. The time of prayer is a time of war. The word Krava is like Krav Maga, means to fight. So what's the fight during prayer? You see, I speak for myself, but I know that distractions come. When I pray, all of a sudden my mind starts wandering and thinking and going places. So what is it? Why do we have these obstacles, these challenges at a time of prayer? Now, at the end of the day, the godly soul doesn't exactly feel comfortable at home in this world. Because the godly soul comes from the spiritual realm where their God is readily perceivable, coming from the heavenly celestial realm where it is basking in the glory of godliness and coming into this world, it's here on a mission. And it's here to elevate, to work with our animal soul, share with the body. But the animal soul, it shouldn't be seen as an obstacle to be ignored, but rather the challenges that come are there to be embraced, are there to elevate us. The godly soul has to translate its spiritual aspirations into refining the behavior animal soul. And to put it into very simple terms, I would say, if we realize that, as it says, a person's days are numbered according to the time that we're here, we don't know when we're going to go. But how could we maximize every moment we have uplift, ensure that our animal soul also would be interested in the prayers. And one of the ideas is the animal soul also has what to benefit. We have things, we have needs, we have personal needs in this world, physical needs. And we pray to God and ask God for those things. So hopefully the animal soul also has a vested interest in wanting to pray. So when we pray, think about this. 
When a person is, a person calls themselves a believer, right? They believe God created the world, God's the ultimate provider of all our needs. So in order for us to, be, in order for that belief to actually affect us, we need to think about the meaning, the relevance of that belief. It can't just be pie in the sky. We need to ask ourselves, if God is the creator of the whole world, including myself, then what does that say about God? What does it say about me? How does this inform my thinking? How does it refine my behavior? How do I see in my life that God is the provider of my needs? And if I could convince my animal instincts, my animal soul, that even the physical needs of my daily life are all provided for by God, then hopefully my animal soul also wants to pray. Ah, but here's the problem. As somebody just messaged me, I don't understand the prayers. And the truth is, I have a lot of questions I could ask you. Because many people have challenges when they pray. Some people say it's too fast. Others say it's too slow. Some people don't understand what's going on. Some people are bored. There's all types of challenges. And, you know, I I posed the question to our lecture series on Wednesday evening. And I asked people to tell me why they pray. And I got such vast variety of answers. I'm even curious to hear from you why you pray. Some people say they want the help, that they want God's help during difficulties. And some people say that they need, they're seeking solace in God's company because they're lonely. And other people are, are looking for clarity and understanding amidst confusion, uh, lack of confidence. Some people are expressing their fear or their desperation going through whatever difficulty or challenging circumstances that they're enduring. And the list goes on and on. All types of answers that people give why they pray. Some people are praying because somebody's going, someone else is going through a hard time. Somebody's not well. Somebody needs a shidduch. Maybe they're going through financial difficulties. Some people are expressing gratitude to God, right? So there's all types of prayers. Was Rosh Chodesh this week? We said Baruch which describes the, our wonders of, of God's amazing creations, the vastness of the world. I was in Cape Town. You look at the Neflois Habara. I think there's hardly any other beautiful city in the world like that where you get to see all of the complexity and beauty of God's world right there in one beautiful city. So, again, people are looking for all types of meaning and depth in their prayer. But then, when I asked people what challenges they had, boy, was that list longer. And even here, I mean, messages coming through, people say they don't understand what they're reading. And the truth is, I have very simple answers to some of these points. And in fact, let me share with you a story from the memoirs of the previous rabbi. He talks about a yid named Gershon. And Gershon turned to his rabbi and he said, Rabbi, he asked him, can I pray in Yiddish? The rabbi asks him, why do you want to pray in Yiddish? You should pray in the original Hebrew of the Siddur, the language that was composed by our great sages who wrote the prayers. And Gershon's answer, I think, is very profound. He says, well, Hebrew, I think my godly soul understands. But Yiddish is the language that my animal soul understands. And I think that sort of answers that question, is that yes, indeed, you should understand your prayers. You have to understand what you're saying. So there's two points that come to my mind here. Number one is, yes, when you pray, and the prayers, like we say, are in the original Hebrew, and it's about our godly soul connecting. It's got a very spiritual element to the prayer. But there's also a 
physical aspect. And that is the, all the materialistic things that we need. So prayer, if you pray in a language that you understand, then the prayer becomes more relevant and real and tangible in a way that you realize, firstly, it's not just about my godly soul connecting with God as the source and provider of all my needs, but also about my animal soul's physical needs in this world that I know God's the one to provide them. So you could easily convince your animal soul to come on board for the prayers as well. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And do you have a brand that needs protection? Have you established a strong name for yourself in your industry? Is somebody taking advantage of that? Your brand is worthy of protection. Contact Redemeyer attorneys with over 20 years combined experience with trademarks and intellectual property law and give your brand the protection it deserves. Call us on 011-886-3001 or email info at redemeyer.co.za. Redemeyer attorneys, you imagine we protect. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood have the following specials that you need to know about. Pick and Pay Kosher whole barbecue chickens are delicious, $69.99 each. Pick and Pay Kosher whole fresh chickens are $69.99 per kilo. Get gift filtered with Pick and Pay minced hake at a chilled $129.99 per kilo. Pick and Pay 20 centimeter milk tarts are a sweet $19.99 each. Prices are valid from the 5th to the 8th of September. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood, the place to shop. And you want to buy a lot. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. Here we are in our final couple of minutes of today's segment. And we were describing and explaining how prayer connects to Hashem. And not just our spiritual aspects of our godly soul, but our entire being, our physical interests as well of the animal soul. Because the animal soul realizes what else that it needs, has physical needs in this world. And God provides what I'd like to do to conclude today is to share with you another interesting insight because I see one of the questions that came through is, why do I need to pray from a sitter? Rabbi, you're explaining the whole time that it's a personal connection, so maybe I could just pray from my mind. And indeed, I think you're absolutely right. You could pray from your mind, and better yet, play, pray from your heart. Prayer is considered avodah the service of the heart. So the question you're asking is, if prayer is about that personal conversation with God, then why do you need to use the set formula of a prayer book of a sitter? It seems to be, so to say, antithetical to that heartfelt prayer that we're trying to achieve. So the analogy I want to share with you is about greeting cards. I don't know how many people sit down today and write personal cards and messages as perhaps one did long ago. Recently going through my father's archives and seeing how many handwritten letters from the 19, early 1940s. He was born in the late 30s. And the letters he would write and communicate, and being far away from his siblings and parents and war-torn Europe, they communicated by letter. And these letters, those that we have, those that survived, beautiful prosaic. You, you go through the beautifully eloquently written letters. But as time went on, we know that people don't have as much time to write such eloquent long birthday letters and communications. So, at least when I was a kid, there was a wonderful solution, and that was called Hallmark. Maybe there are other brands as well. You go into CNA or uh, any of the shops, and you could buy these beautiful greeting cards, 
and they'll convey whatever message you want to articulate in a very clear and simple way. So you want to wish somebody happy birthday, happy anniversary, you want to tell them sorry, get well, whatever it might be. There are lots of categories. I remember as a kid going and looking and picking the right category card, but it's not nice to just send out a card that you just bought. That's pointless. What I do at least, and I'm usually when I get a card from somebody else, in the rare occasion that we still get cards today, is that there's always a personal message. That little personal touch that's added to the card. It could be just a few words of our own. Some people make a hand-drawn emoji or just a doodle on the side. But there's something that personalizes that card. And what happens is you're buying a card. Why the Hallmark card? Because somehow they know ex- they knew exactly how to express the birthday wish better than ever I could. But by me adding my name to it, by me scribbling in a few words there that are personal, I took it from being a generic Hallmark card and turned it into a personal message to the person that I'm sending it to. And so if you take that original card with the personal touch that we express in it, how we're feeling, that is exactly what we want the other person to know. We want them to know our feelings towards them on this special occasion that we are sending the card along with a gift. And I'd like to say that prayer is very similar in that sense. Because it isn't easy to articulate a message to God. It isn't easy to, to, to hold that steady train of thought and to have a clear, concise way of communicating it. And that's why the Siddur is very helpful, and in fact it's essential. It isn't a dry, impersonal formula. The Siddur, as we're going to discuss in the coming weeks, is in fact a scaffolding. It's a ladder, and it's built up in specific way. And it guides our own personal intentions. It helps us to meditate on God's greatness. And so we infuse its words with our feelings. So although we might all be using the same Siddur or different Siddur in Shul, but that doesn't matter because each individual prays to God in their own specific, special, unique, individual way. So my suggestion to you is if there's a paragraph, if there's a passage of prayer that really catches your attention, take a moment, stop, think about it, reflect, meditate on it, contemplate on the words that resonate with you. Say it slowly. Maybe sing it in a tune as if you're reading your favorite piece of poetry. You could lower your voice here, you could raise your voice there, you could read a paragraph with expressive emotion, make another one with more introspective thought. Isn't this the idea that Reb Gershon, in the story I mentioned earlier, was saying that his Yiddish he understands better? Take that prayer, say it in English, translate it. Today we have interlinear sidurim, which go line by line Hebrew, English. So you could use the rich original words that were composed by the great, by the men of the great assembly and the other authors who compiled the passages and prayers that we say in the Siddur. But make it yours. Take your time. That's my recommendation for this week. And I think if you're able to do that, and if I could just Recap quickly some of the thoughts that we went through today, how prayer is really a deeply personal, individual experience. 
And it's the way that a person expresses their deepest thoughts and feelings and conversation to God. So, yes, the rituals are all, are all important. But make it yours. Make it personal. Like the word tefillah, which means a connection. It's not just about asking God, I need some cash, I need some health, I need some wealth, whatever it might be. Make it a personal experience. And if we realize that, and maybe sometimes we think that there's a distraction, our, our animal soul isn't interested, well, get your animal soul interested. See how there are personal physical needs that are provided for by God in our lives every single day. And so, if we could do exactly that, then we realize that when we pray, the sitter is not something that's just generic. It shouldn't be boring. It should be personal. You add your words to a greeting card, you add your feelings to the prayer book, and the, the sitter then is just a guide for your thoughts to articulate your personal feelings in the right words. I hope you have a good experience connecting with God this week. And join us next week. We'll continue our discussion on the journey of prayer and spiritual experience. Wishing you all a meaningful, purposeful, uplifting Shabbos. Carpe diem. Seize the day.